The kids can be dismissed at that time, and great job, by the way. Um, so kids can be dismissed. Um, they're going to go and get age-appropriate lessons for them that are good for them, and the rest of us are going to stay here and study God's Word in the way that we can. It's great to be here. Um, it's actually really great to see the kids and see them you know, singing and doing all that stuff because I used to be in children's choir myself, so it's very nice to see that. Um, I never got to do a solo, but that's okay. I still got to be in it. Um, There's a profound uh, simplicity to seeing kids sing about God, and it's super awesome because it reminds me of that verse in, um, I believe it's Matthew, when Jesus says, truly, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So this is a great picture of us to see um, just innocence singing about the goodness and the greatness of God. So, over the past few months, in case you haven't been here, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And John has been emphasizing the fact that uh, this idea of living without borders, right? This idea that um, following Jesus means that we surrender all aspects of our lives to him. This idea that there's, there's not, um, you, you can't go to God and say, God, I'm going to give you this and this and this part of my life, but, but this thing and this sin and this worry, that, you know, I, I'm not going to let you go into those areas. That's not what the Christian life is about. Jesus says that the truly blessed life, the truly happy life, is a life that's completely surrendered to him. So today as we continue with this Sermon on the Mount, as we go on and and talk about something else, I want to continue with this idea of without borders. And I want to kind of expand it a little bit. And the idea is this, that with the coming of Jesus Christ, the border that existed between heaven and earth was broken. This idea that, that Jesus, God himself, the Son of God, has come down to the earth and, and, and now heaven, has, heaven and earth has been broken and heaven is spilling out over into the world. To, to kind of give you a little historical context, um, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, the people that the, the Old Testament is mainly about, um, the people in Jesus' day were awaiting the kingdom of God. This idea that God was going to come back one day and rule um, the world. And for centuries, they had been dominated, the Israelites had been dominated by foreign powers. They'd been dominated by the Assyrians. They had been dominated by the Babylonians. They had been dominated by the Romans. And they were just, it, it, it was a pretty bad situation for them. They'd be exiled. They'd be forced into labor. They'd be forced to do all these different things. And so, but all, the, all throughout that time, God was sending prophets to the people saying, one day, God's kingdom is coming. One day it's coming. Just hold on. It's coming. And so in that context, the prophets talked about a coming Messiah, which we just heard the kids sing about. This idea that that God was going to send this person, this Savior, who was going to, to usher in this new age, this new era and the prophets, if you ever go through and read the Old Testament, they, they really like to compare and contrast the, the kingdoms that the Israelites were under versus this new kingdom that God was going to establish on earth. He said, you know, those kingdoms, they rule through, through fear and they're, they're ruled by sin and, and subjugation and, and fear and all those different things. But God's kingdom is going to be ruled by 
peace and prosperity and, a, and an outpouring of God's spirit on God's people. So it makes sense that the Jews in Jesus' day were looking forward to that day. They were looking for this kingdom of God to come. And they waited, and they waited. A couple hundred years later, they waited. And a couple hundred more years later, they waited. And 300 years later, they waited. And 400 years, they waited and waited. And then enter Jesus. It's actually very interesting that the, the, the first thing that Jesus says in this sermon that we've been going through over the past few months, the first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the border that existed between heaven and earth was broken. And now heaven, the goodness of heaven, the, the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God is, is flowing out into the world through the person and work of Jesus. He is ushering in this new era of the kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is basically ways that we um, live life in the kingdom. Like, we've been adopted into the family of God if we believe in God, and so we are now kingdom people. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's how to live life as kingdom people. Jesus is basically encouraging us to be who we already are. So today I want to explore another facet of that, and it has to do with the topic of fasting. It's not something that we typically talk about in 21st century Christian church. I mean, it doesn't even seem like fasting belongs in the same century as Facebook, you know? It's like, it's weird that those two things occur at the same time. But I want us to explore it. Uh, So if you would, if you have your Bibles with me today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting with uh, verse 16. Um, And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Uh, It's going to be up on the screen behind me, but we're going to be in Matthew 6, the first book of the New Testament, and beginning in verse 16. And Jesus said, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you. It, it, it's, just, it's a great day to, to, to hear um, the innocence of youth, the innocence of children sing the praises of God. As we think about Palm Sunday, as we think about Jesus entering Jerusalem and the people saying, Hosanna in the highest, Father, it makes our hearts swell up. Um, But it also makes us sad to know that just a few days later, um, the people crucified your son. And and I know that we, had we been there, we would have done the same thing because we, we, we all are in sin. But Father, I thank you that your son has come. I thank you that he has died for us, and I thank you that he has risen in victory so that we too may rise in victory one day. 
So Father, I pray for this text. I pray that as we look through it, I pray that as we read it, I pray that as we try to understand it, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts, that he would activate in us, Father, to help us to, to understand and to be changed by it, Lord. I pray that we would be changed by it. I pray that, that the Holy Spirit would, would put salve on our eyes, Father, our eyes that are crusted with sin and encrusted with worry and all these different things. And I pray that he'd help open our eyes to the beauty of your word. And likewise, I pray for our hearts, Lord, that are like stone and that are just weighed down with the, the weight of life and worry and everything that we have to do tomorrow and all these different things and even thinking about all the commands that we have to do, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would take our heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh, that we would see that your commands are not burdensome, burdensome but that they're gifts to us, Father. They're gifts wrapped in a bow given to us for our good. And lastly, Father, I just pray for the people here. I pray over them that you would bless their lives and that you would lead them into the peace and that you would remind them that they are kingdom people and that they are reconciled to you by your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray and have access to you. Amen. So as we talked about, this passage is, is set in the setting of Jesus' sermon. Uh, it's kind of a uh, seems like a long sermon. I think if you read it all out, it's actually not that long. But it, it seems like a long sermon as we've been going through it, but it's got a lot of great stuff. And it explores the idea that, that hope in God empowers radical, selfless living. In the past two weeks, we've looked at two passages in particular, one passage on giving to the needy and then one passage on prayer. And today we're going to cap off these three passages by looking at fasting in particular. And in these three passages, Jesus directs our attention to the difference between true devotion and false devotion, right? So he's, he's comparing the Pharisees with what he expects from us. He calls the Pharisees, which were basically the religious leaders of Jesus' day, he calls them hypocrites, which is a really rough word, but coming from Jesus, it must have been true because he knew their hearts. And so hypocrisy is basically um, outwardly doing one thing, but inwardly something else is going on, right? And this displeases God. He says in Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, unlike the religions of the world, Jesus is very interested in your heart. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we've been looking at all these different things that, that Jesus is focusing in on. And it seems like he's saying it, it, the old way of doing things was just external religiosity. It was just this religion. It was just something that you do um, just because it, it's, it's, it's what you're supposed to do. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is breaking in deeper into our hearts saying, no, it's, it's about the heart. God wants your heart. So Jesus has, has talked about um, giving to the needy. And so in, in, in our human way of thinking, maybe we, we go to God and we say, oh God, look, I've, I've given to the poor. Look at me. And God says, well, why did you give to the poor? Or maybe we go to a God in prayer and we say, God, look how much I've, I've prayed or, or look at how well I pray in public, Lord. Look, look at that. And God says, well, well, why are you praying? 
Or maybe when it comes to fasting, as we talk about today, we go to God and say, um, as Jesus said in the parable, God, look at how I fast. Look how great I am. And God cuts to the heart saying, well, why do you fast? So we're going to explore true and false devotion. It seems kind of harsh that God would like probe us so deeply and cut so into our hearts and that he'd turn over every stone. And I think the reason that he does this is because God knows how prone our hearts are to sin and to evil. I mean, it's so bad that even when we do good things, that our hearts are laced with self-glory, wanting to take credit for the things that we're doing. And so, essentially, Jesus tells us the difference between true and false fasting. So false fasting seeks satisfaction in the praise of others. True fasting looks forward to being satisfied in the kingdom of God. Let's kind of flesh that out. Let's look in verse 16. It says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. You know, the first thing I want to note is Jesus says, when you fast and not if you fast, right? So Jesus, at least with Jesus here, there's an expectation that at least occasionally we're supposed to be fasting, right? You know, he's not calling the Pharisees out for fasting. He's calling them out the way that they fasted, and the reason that they fasted. So if you don't fast, this isn't an opportunity or a license for you to go, okay, I get to leave early, get to go to lunch or something like that. No, if you, if you don't fast or if you haven't fasted in a while, maybe this is a call for you to, to think about. Maybe this is something that, that I should do in the near future. And so I encourage you to, to, to join in that, to think about that as we talk about it today. So the issue with the Pharisees was not that they fasted, but why they fasted. And he says very clearly, why did they do that? That their fasting may be seen by others. Their goal in life, their goal in their devotion to God was to make it seen by others, right? They wanted to get the praise of other people. And sometimes that, that happens a lot in a, a Christian context or in a church context where we, we do things and we, we, we you know, we kind of want to get some credit for it, you know? We, we went out of our way and we did it, so we, we kind of want to get some credit with people. But this is exactly what Jesus is calling out. Their goal was to be seen. They wanted people to see how devoted they were. They wanted to feel that thing that you feel when people praise you. You know, that, that, that rush of self-righteous endorphins that say, look, look at me, it's, it's about me. Yes. The aim of their devotion was praise to others. They wanted to draw attention to their piety, not the praise of God. But if you notice, and if you go back and read through the past passages about giving to the needy and giving to the poor, Jesus actually gives the same warning that he gives to hypocritical giving and hypocritical praying. And this is his warning that he gives. In verse 16, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. This is scary not because they don't get what they want, but because they do get what they want. 
See, he doesn't say they, they don't get they want. He says they, they have received their reward. So they get the thing that they wanted. They wanted praise from people, and they got praise from people. The scary thing is they, they get exactly what they want and nothing more. You see, they had twisted this thing that was supposed to connect people with God, and they had, they had taken God completely out of the equation and just made it something that was for them um, in order to manipulate other people. Like if you notice in verse 16, when it talks about the, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, there's no mention of God altogether in any of it. God is completely absent from that verse. So when we do good things as a means of being praised by people, we should not expect anything from God. This is what happens when fasting is used as a means of manipulating God or other people. But what about true fasting? What does it mean to to truly fast? Uh, Let's look in verse uh, 17, I believe is when it starts. It says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see the difference in the motivation there? The difference in motivation is, um, if, if I'm going to do a fast, and I, you know, I want to do it to get closer to God, and it, it doesn't really involve other people, so I'm going to try to do it to get closer to God, and if I do it, Without telling anyone else, it means I'm not going to get any praise for it. No one's going to respect me or think I'm more religious or think I'm more holy or whatever. It's just between me and God. And in our flesh, we cannot handle that. I mean, we want to get that praise. But I think Jesus is calling us to a greater reward, which we're going to talk about. So Jesus doesn't discourage fasting altogether just because it can be abused. He doesn't say it's religious, external piety. He says, but when you fast, do it this way. So that tells me it's something that we should probably be doing. It's, it's a means of grace, like reading the word or, or praying or singing. It's, it's a means of grace of, of connecting with God. Sure, it seems archaic. But God's word is still around today. We're still reading it. It is still applicable to us. So we encourage us to fast with the right motivation, to get closer to God, to, to, to know him better, and, and, and not to, to, to get this praise from other people. He says, anoint your head. When you fast, anoint your head and, and wash your face. It's basically the equivalent of saying, you know, when you fast, don't call attention to it, you know. It's, it's not bad if someone notices, hey, you, did you skip lunch today? Why did you skip lunch today? I mean, it's, it's not, you don't have to be like, oh, I'm, I'm dieting, I don't know, you know. So you, all, you can just be like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just skipping a meal today, just trying to get close to God, and that's totally fine. But I think the difference is whenever you, you do things and try to call attention to it. So basically when he says, anoint your head, wash your face, it's like go about your regular business, your regular day, and, and don't try to draw people to the fact that you're doing something for the Lord. And I think the reason is gloomy devotion to God focuses attention on the self, but joyful devotion to God focuses attention toward God. And this is something that I have really been struggling with lately because, and 
I've been going to seminary, I'm taking some classes, I'm doing some work, you know, going to work at the same time, and it's like, it's hard not to be gloomy about how much there is to be done, you know what I'm saying? And so, basically, when I'm walking around, sometimes I feel like I'm, I got this, like, chip on my shoulder, and it's like, man, it's like, living the Christian life is just so hard, you know? It's like, like look at me and all that I'm doing for the Lord kind of thing. And so this was actually a wake-up call for me in a, in a greater sense that, that as we follow God and as we try to live this life for Him, we do it with joy because we know that we are kingdom people. It's not, Jesus said His commands aren't burdens to us. He says sin is the burden. Self-righteousness, that's the burden, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because it's easy. And it's easy because the Spirit empowers us, and it's easy because it leads to life. So what is the true motivation of fasting? It's the hope that God would see it. Look at it says in verse 18. It says, we are to fast not that others may see it, but that God may see it. So the problem is not the fact that you're trying to get someone to see it. The problem is, who are you trying to get to see it, right? So the hypocrites want to get other people to see their fasting, but the truly devoted, those who who are really trying to see God, they're trying to get God to see it, right? So hypocrites say to other people, look at me. But the devoted look to God and say, Lord, please, I'm desperate for you. Please look, look at me, look favorably on me, Lord. Jesus says that this is the type of fasting that God rewards. But what is the reward? I think it's kind of mysterious. It it doesn't quite say what the reward is in the passage, right? So we know what the reward for the hypocrites is, praise the people. So if that's good enough for you, then maybe you need to reevaluate. But Jesus says there's a greater reward coming, but he doesn't really explain what it is. So this is... My theory, and I I try to base it off the scripture, but I I, I think that the thing that could be better than the temporary rush of people-pleasing, the thing that could be better than than, um, maybe doing things whenever God or whenever other people don't know about it, is if fasting is looking forward to being satisfied in the kingdom of God, as we said before, then the reward of fasting is God himself. And I believe this because Jesus connects fasting with the second coming. He says in Mark uh, chapter 2, I believe, it says, Jesus said, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So in this passage, in this parable, Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the one who was with the disciples, and now he's gone away, and one day he's coming back. So I think the point is, whenever you're with Jesus, you don't fast. There's no reason. But while Jesus is away, that's when you fast. So I think that Jesus himself coming back is the reward. God himself, in the form of the kingdom, us living with him forever and ever, and he giving himself to us forever and ever, that is the reward that Jesus is talking about. It's delayed gratification. There's no fasting in heaven. There's only feasting in heaven. If you ever read Revelation, which is like my favorite book, like one of my goals in life is to 
is to memorize that book and to like have it because it blessed are those who read the words of this book. And so I, I want to have that in my mind. I'm not quite there yet. I got to like verse one and stopped. But uh, one day I'm going to get it. But if you ever read Revelation, it's hard to understand, but, but it has this picture of what eternity looks like. And it's kind of like the best way that John could explain it. John was an apostle, right? And, and God gave him a vision of the future. And so John's just there and he's like, I saw something that was like this. And I saw something that's like, he couldn't even describe it in human words. But he's like, all, all I know is that it was good. And in Revelation, it talks about this marriage supper of the Lamb. This idea that God's people are going to be with God forever. And there's going to be feasting. And I think that's why all of our fasts here in this life come to an end. Fasting is a temporary thing. You know, you give up food or a treat or something like that for a day or for a week. But, but then you go and you enjoy that thing again. And I think that that's a picture of the fact that, that fasting is only temporary. But one day we will have feasting. There will be no need for fasting anymore. So a few more points and, and then I'll close. When I think of fasting, I think of it as a, a weapon. Just like reading the word is called like a sword that cuts into our heart and, and cuts against Satan. And, and prayer is a, a weapon that we use to, to build our faith in God and, and help relieve anxiety and all those different things. I think fasting is a weapon that we don't often pick up in the Christian life. But I think that it can be a means of strengthening our connection with God. Because it, it, it targets the noise of life and, and seems to have a way of, of, of pushing that aside and focusing in on who God is. Whenever we intentionally give up food, you know, we, the, every pang of hunger when you're fasting redirect like the holy spirit can redirect that pain and and send it godward and so it kind of has a way of of honing the senses into being sensitive to what god is saying fasting is, is 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 a difficult thing i'm not saying that it's easy or something that should be taken lightly i mean the other um, we, we've just gone through this period of Lent, right? And so we've, we've been encouraged, John has encouraged us to fast in different ways as we approach Easter and as we look forward to Jesus' second coming. And, 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 and one day I, I, I tried to do the, the, the food fast. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you get up in the morning and skip breakfast. And about like noon, you know, you start to get irritable. You know, you're kind of like, man, <laughs> I need some food. So you try to fill it with like coffee if you're just doing food. And then that just makes it worse whenever it gets like three or four o'clock. So I'm, I'm walking home from work that day and I'm like really irritable. And I could feel myself getting irritable because I hadn't had food. And so I just, I, I, I started praying to God and I started thinking about Jesus. And I thought about Jesus in the wilderness. That's what my mind went to. So Jesus goes in the wilderness, and it says he went through a, a supernatural fast, 40 days and 40 nights without food. And then the day after that, Satan came and tempted him. And I'm like, man, I've gone like five hours without food, and I'm like getting super tempted to be irritable right now. But it's this idea where I, I, just, I just stood there, and I was walking, and I said, man, Jesus went one day without food? He went two days without food. He went three days without food. He went four days without food. He went five days without food. He went six days. And I counted all the way up to 40. And by the end of it, I was like, man, Jesus is the man. Like, he is awesome. It, 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 so the focus shifted from 
kind of my suffering to how awesome Jesus was. And I think that that can be a, a natural rhythm whenever we're fasting. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying that it's a good place to be. So three applications, just really quick, and then I'll close. First, when should you fast? There's no hard and fast rule, but, but fasting is usually um, associated in Scripture with very desperate times. So maybe you have a big decision you have to make or that you're desperately praying for God for clarity for. Maybe there's extreme circumstances in your life or in the world that, that fasting would show that, that only God can fix that thing and not you. Uh, maybe you've been in a period of sin or a period of spiritual dryness and you kind of want to like jumpstart and usher in a time of repentance. You know, these are all scenarios right from the Bible. Second, how should you fast? The Bible is more descriptive than it is prescriptive, meaning there's no like specific way to do it. Typically in the Bible, it's food or food and water, but there's all different things. You can give up TV or, or you can give up Facebook, anything that kind of keeps you from spending time with God. Um, those are perfectly acceptable. The length of time that you fast is between you and God, but regardless of how you go, you should really prepare for it physically and spiritually. It's not something that you should just like walk into. It's something that you need to really think about whenever you do it. Don't go into it lightly. Um, and of course, make sure that your fasting goes hand in hand with prayer. Um, we're not just trying to give things up. We're trying to fill ourselves with God and with his presence. So we're not giving up. We're trying to trade up. And lastly, who should you aim to please when you fast? I think Jesus makes it clear. Aim to please God, not other people. Um, aiming to please people is bondage. Aiming to please God, aiming to be pleased in God is freedom. So as we close and as we pray, I just want to encourage you to join the ranks of the people like Daniel, people like Paul, people like Jesus who fasted. Join the ranks of those people. I encourage you to live your lives like kingdom people, to remember who you are, to read things like the Sermon on the Mount and not think of them as burdens, but think of them as gifts to you. Um, as we begin Passion Week and Good Friday and Easter, I pray that you would just feel the anticipation building that Jesus is coming back. I find myself reminding myself of that over and over and over again, that Jesus is coming back and the time is short. The Bible says it's, it's going to be short. He's coming back. So live as if he's coming back tomorrow. Uh, just always put that in front of your minds. And lastly, just go forth and, and be who you are, kingdom people. Um, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us a means of grace called fasting. I know that people in the world, uh, the people that don't fear you, uh, they may think that fasting is weird um, or strange or, or has no bearing in the modern life or that it's purely for physical dieting reasons, Father, but I, I, I thank you that you have given it to us that we may look forward to the hope of your second coming. That we may look forward to the hope of feasting in heaven. Lord, you have promised us that all suffering in this life is temporary for God's people. Father, I pray for those in here who have trusted in you, who have 
said, yes, I, I want to be a kingdom person. I want to follow Jesus in this life. Father, I pray that they would um, live lives that glorify you, and I pray that your spirit would be strong in them. I pray that they would realize that there are just some things in this life that, that we can't take down the road on the paths of the kingdom. God, I pray for those in here who have, have not quite decided to, to follow Jesus, who are still exploring, who are still trying to see who he is. Father, I pray that you would just um, illumine who you are to them through your word, that they would, that they would be open-minded enough to, to read it and to see who you present yourself to be in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray that, they, that you would illumine yourself through your church as we love them, as we love each other. Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Be with us in strength and glory. Sing over us with loud songs. And help us to be kingdom people. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. So now we're having a time of response. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. And so um, as the, the band sings,